Well, I want to extend greetings to everybody here at our Lincoln Park campus and uh, also everybody who's worshiping at our acoustic service today and everybody who's uh, watching online or, or listening in your car. Great to have you with us and welcome to the third Sunday of Advent. Um, remember, Advent is all about waiting, which most of us are not very good at. Um, for example, um, put yourself in this position. You make a doctor's appointment for two o'clock. <laughs> you get there a little before two because you are polite and conscientious and the doctor does not see you until about three o'clock. How does that make you feel? <laughs> you know, not that this would ever happen, right? But just in case it ever did. Um, here's how it makes me feel mad, like somebody has stolen my time and ruined my day, um, just, makes me, just makes me annoyed. Um, so I was thinking about that this week, and I pulled up this, this picture that I have found in my, in my photos. This is a picture that I took uh, on, my, on my phone about five years ago outside of a medical clinic in Rwanda, where the chapel was involved for a few years. So these were all people who were waiting to see a doctor, mothers with their sick kids, uh, big sisters with their, with their uh, sick little sisters, many of them would wait all day, like 10 hours, they would go home, they would go to bed and come back and keep waiting the next day, and none of them ever complained about it. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, um, maybe just a little bit, uh, but, but here's what I've been realizing lately, that as Americans especially, racing toward 2017, we are in danger of just losing our, our ability to wait for things. And when that happens, the problem is we become uh, entitled and whiny and demanding. And I don't think that's how any of us wants to be, which is why we need Advent. Because Advent is this time when, just like the people of Israel had been given these promises of a Messiah, but it didn't happen right away, so they waited and waited and waited. We choose to enter into this time where we hear again the promises that were made, um, we are reminded how desperately we need the, this Messiah. And then when Christmas finally comes, we feel extra grateful uh, that, that he has come. So first two weeks of this series, we, we looked at Old Testament promises of, of, of the people of Israel waiting for their Messiah. Today and next week, we're going to look at, um, at words that were spoken or written right around the time uh, of the arrival of Jesus. So we'll move into the New Testament Gospels today. Um, and today, I want to talk about waiting for a miracle. So the passage we're going to look at today is Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, 
your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her, and this is God's word. When I read this passage, um, Mary seems so normal, doesn't she? Because she's completely caught off guard. Uh, She's confused. She even pushes back a little bit, I think, like most of us would do. Um, But the angel is patient with her, and through this encounter, Mary goes from total confusion to a point where she's ready for God to do this miracle through her. And this might sound like a stretch, but I don't think it is. I believe that God wants to get every one of us to that, to that same point where we are ready, where we are willing for God to do miraculous things through us. So three things that we see in this passage, God's choice, God's plan, and God's power. All right, so God, God's choice, his plan, and his power. So let's talk first about God's choice. Why did God choose Mary? I mean, of all of the the people that he could have picked to bring the Messiah into the world, why Mary? Um, Verse 26 says, um, he sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Probably if we've been around um, church for a while, we're so used to hearing Jesus of Nazareth that we think Nazareth was a famous place. Nazareth was not a famous place. It was small, it was off the beaten path. Um, I'm not gonna compare it to any North Jersey towns. Uh, because I'm already in trouble with all the people from Singak from last week. <laughs> but the point is, Mary didn't get this assignment because she had this, this pedigree of coming from this important place. Um, and then verse 27 says, um, the angel came to this virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. In that culture, it was really common for a girl to get betrothed, which was like engagement, but it was more, it was more serious. It was more binding than engagement. But it was common for that to happen shortly after puberty. Mary was probably 13 to 15 years old. Um, And she was betrothed to a guy named Joe, who was a good guy, um, honest, hardworking, but nothing out of the ordinary. He wasn't studying to be a a, a rabbi or a scholar or something like that. Just a hardworking, regular guy engaged to a pretty normal girl. Um, We don't know what Mary looked like. But uh, it's interesting because through, the, through the, the centuries, there has been this rich tradition of trying to picture this scene of the angel announcing this news to Mary. So just to, to get us thinking a little bit, let me just show you a couple of the, the kind of well-known pieces of, of art. This is a famous work from Philippe de Champagne from the 1600s. It's called The Annunciation. Um, and it's a beautiful painting, right? Um, I just think Mary's a little bit old, probably based on what she probably was. She looks very matronly already, you know. Um, Here's another one from Matisse, also from the same time period. Also, I think she just, she just looks a little bit too, too uh, aged. Um, This one's from Henry Tanner. This is from 1898. I think this one gets a little bit closer because Mary looks kind of younger. She looks kind of shocked and doesn't know what to say. That seems pretty accurate. Um, And then this, this is my favorite one. This is the actress who played Mary in the Nativity movie about, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago. And I think they did a pretty good job capturing her, her youthfulness, her, her simplicity, the simplicity of her surroundings. Um, I thought that's probably as close to the real thing as, as any of the other ones. So verse 28, the angel went to her and said, greetings. You know what the Latin word for greetings is? Ave, 
the word Ave. So that's where we get the phrase Ave Maria. It simply means, hi, Mary. <laughs> that's pretty much what it is, greetings, Mary. Um, the old English word for greetings, the Latin word is Ave, the old English word for greetings is hail. Right, so that's where we get the term Hail Mary. It's just, it's just a greeting to Mary as you would greet anyone. So the angel says, greetings, Mary, you who are highly favored, uh, the Lord is with you. Now, I know that the natural thing for us to do is to say, aha, this is why God chose Mary. This, this, is, this is getting at why Mary's so special because look, she's highly favored. The Lord is with us. God would never say that about me. Um, here's the thing. Did Mary have a unique role to play? Of course she did. Uh, none of us can say that God used us for that particular thing. But here's the thing. Mary did not earn that role at all. And the reason I say that is the word for favored is the Greek word, uh, same root Greek word as the word for grace. We know what grace means, right? It's my favorite word in the whole Bible, except Jesus, I guess. Uh, the word grace, it's the Greek word charis. And that word can be translated grace or favor or simply gift. So whenever grace is talked about, it's something that is given and not earned. Um, in two weeks, hopefully all of us will be given by somebody something that's wrapped and has a bow on the top. And we'll take that from the person. And hopefully we won't say, do you take, do you take cards or just cash? You know, what, what do I... Uh, you would never say that, right? Because when a gift is given to you, all you need to do is say thank you and receive it. That's, that's what grace is. And this encounter that Mary has with the angel is all about God's grace to her. In other words, God didn't look around for the holiest person and say, Mary is just, just killing it. She's just knocking it out of the park. She's gotta be the one. God chose Mary out of pure grace. And here's the point. When God wants to do miraculous things today, he operates by the same principle. It's, it's by his grace, not seeking an all-star that he can, he can work through. So look at Mary's response in verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Perfect response to God's grace. Perfect response. Because here's how you can tell if someone has personally understood grace in their life. If you ask them about their spiritual status and they say, oh, I've always been a Christian. Yeah, I've always believed in God and Jesus and all that. You know, I've been I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I live a good Christian life. That person doesn't understand grace. Because when you understand grace, there's something in you that will say, no. Me, do, do you understand who it is that you're talking to? I don't, the, the, the dumb things I've done, the doubts that I still have sometimes, I mean, how unworthy I am? God, how, you would do this for me? Then you begin to understand that someone gets. Grace is always, um, it just seems a little irrational. It just seems like it couldn't be this good. Um, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a pretty good guy like me. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a terrible song, right? <laughs> saved a wretch like me. By its definition, grace is amazing. Utterly amazing. So Mary's initial response to God was spot on. She realized she was out of her league like we all are when we encounter the grace of God. So it makes this stuff so great. So if you think that God would never do anything supernatural through you because you're not good enough, you're not holy enough, you don't pray enough, don't you see that God's choice isn't based on anything good in us? 
It is purely by grace. And if that's the case, why not you? Why not? All right, let's talk about his plan. So the angel says, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. That's the same word again, favor or or grace. So here's the plan, God says. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him the name Jesus. And he'll be great, and he'll be called all these amazing things, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants. His kingdoms will never end. Here's the main thing that I want us to see. God's plan, which he had graciously chosen Mary to take part in, wasn't about Mary. Is that too obvious to say? I don't think it is. Did you see everything God says as he's unpacking the plan? I mean, it involved Mary. Mary would be a part of it, but it wasn't about Mary. It was all about Jesus. So notice what he said. He will be great, right? He, the Lord will give him the throne. He will reign. His kingdom will never end. I mean, from top to bottom, this is a plan about Jesus. And here's why this is so important, especially today. We are living in a culture where there's all kinds of spiritual self-help talk. And you will hear things like, God wants to give you a miracle. God wants to to fulfill your destiny. God wants to give you your dreams. Why shouldn't you have everything that you want? God wants to bless you with those things. You just have to believe and God will give you your dreams. And you gotta see that's just not what it says here at all. Um, The angel Gabriel didn't come to Mary and say, greetings Mary, how can God help you fulfill your dreams? And Mary didn't say, well, I was thinking, if I could be the mother of the Messiah, that would really be something. And I could just see in the future people singing Christmas carols about me. And maybe people would even put little statues of me on their front lawn. Wow. And maybe they would, maybe they would even name a football play after me. The Hail Mary, you know? Wow. She didn't say any of that stuff. Because this plan had nothing to, it just wasn't about Mary's dreams, Mary's goals, Mary's aspirations. It had everything to do with Jesus. So Mary's job was not to somehow get God, like figure out the right prayers to get God to fulfill her plans. Mary's job was to submit her will to God's plans. Um, and that's the way it always is when God does supernatural things. Sometimes people say, why, you know, why don't I see God doing anything miraculous in my life? You know, I mean, I, I would believe more. If God just really wanted me all in, then he would do some, some great things, some miraculous things. One time Woody Allen said, um, if only God would give me a sign, like making a huge deposit in my name in a Swiss bank account, then I'd believe in him. You know, I want to see miracles. Maybe the reason we don't see God show up is that we're looking at it backwards. We're viewing God as a tool to get what we want. And we have to make that mental shift that says, wait a minute. God is not my personal assistant. He's not this this genie who came to grant my wishes. So what would it mean for me to to stop asking him to bless my plans and really make myself available to be used in his plans? Which, by the way, is sometimes a very painful process of submitting our preferences and our will to him. Um, But that's when we'll see God show up in powerful ways. So it's God's choice who he's gonna use, right? It's God's plans that he uses people in. And, and as Mary was struggling with this, there was one other piece that she had to understand. So let's talk about God's power. Verse 34, Mary says, how will this be 
since I'm a virgin. In other words, Lord, this thing that you're calling me to do, I don't even meet the minimum requirements. I mean, I don't, I don't bring to the table the, the prerequisites to do what you're asking me to do. How will this be? You ever feel like that? Like God puts something in front of you and it seems like he's leading you to do it and you just go, well, how would this be? I, I, just, I just don't feel like I'm qualified. I feel like I'm over my head in this. And I think that God loves putting in the, us in those positions, putting us in places where we're stretched out of our comfort zone and we really realize that, it, that it's beyond us. Um, how will this be? And God's answer to us is basically always the same as the answer that he gave to Mary. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, Mary, I'm not saying that you have to just try really hard. I'm saying you have to truly allow God to work through you. This is a supernatural thing. This is not something that comes from you. It comes from him. Yield yourself to God. Um, Richard Stearns, who's the president of World Vision, uh, recently tweeted these great words. God's plan for us does not rely on our greatness, but on his. Whatever you face, he will see you through. Remember, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, if you, if you yield yourself to me, you will produce much fruit. In other words, the character of Christ, um, the power of Christ will be produced through your life. In, in a very Mary-like way, you will conceive and give birth to supernatural things when you allow my power to work through you. And of course, Mary was still struggling with this whole thing, and the angel realizes that, so he says, Mary, if you're having a hard time believing this, look, verse 36, even your relative, Elizabeth, is gonna have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is showing, big time, six months. So the angel uses the example of Elizabeth, and he says, look, nobody thought she could have a baby either. She's way too old, but look at her. Um, If God did the impossible in her, don't you see he could do the same thing in you? I'm going to be honest with you. There have been times, and there regularly are times, when God puts something on my plate, and I'm intimidated, I'm scared, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a way out of it. And one of the things that God uses at those times is to look at the Elizabeths around me. Does that make sense? So the other people around me where I see, no, God really does do things like this through ordinary, unqualified, scared people. For example, sometimes I think about my friend Liliana. Years ago, she managed a hotel in Passaic County, and it happened to be a hotel that the state of New Jersey would house uh, homeless women and their children. So Liliana got to know these, these families, and she would talk to these kids when they came home from school, and she started to get this strong sense that God wanted them to have someplace more um, homey and more welcoming than this hotel by the side of the highway. She had no idea what to do, so she waited on God and she prayed. A home in Clifton came up for sale, and Liliana borrowed against her own home to buy this house. People donated time and money and supplies to renovate it. She got it rezoned as a shelter house. Um, She gave it the name Grandma's Place. That was about 10 years ago. Now, at any given time, there are about 10 to 20 moms and their kids living in this place. It's safe, it's clean, they get spiritual counseling, they get life skills counseling. Almost every Tuesday night, my daughter joins a team of other teenagers from the chapel. They go there, they play with the kids, they just show them love. It's making a huge difference because a hotel manager said yes to God's plan. Um, She's an Elizabeth for me. Or sometimes I think of my friend Jamie. Most of you know her. 
Back in 2006, the chapel went on a mission trip to Rwanda, just kind of some random uh, ministry that they did, and they drove by lots of coffee plantations, many of which had been destroyed by a genocide a few years earlier. On the way home, this crazy thought struck her. Wouldn't it be great if we could help to rehabilitate one of these coffee plantations and just help a community kind of get back on its feet again? She had no idea what she was doing. No experience in this, but she believed this dream might be from God. So she prayed, she had conversations. Um, she found out about a struggling community that was built around this dilapidated coffee plantation. She and a few others eventually started a nonprofit called Hope for a Thousand Hills, which has sent about a dozen mission teams. Some of you have been on some of those trips. We've helped to renovate the roads and the bridges and the sanitation system in the community. We've helped to upgrade the medical clinic in this community. Um, the, the plantation was, was renovated and improved. We've sent teams uh, to teach in the schools. The coffee plantation is now thriving under Rwandan leadership. Truly incredible. And this to me is when I'm doubting, God says, don't forget what I did over here. Look at Elizabeth. Or I look at my friend Jeremy, grew up in Bayonne, went to college in Michigan to get away from Jersey, but God put this burden on his heart for inner city kids, and he now directs this amazing ministry called New City Kids in Patterson, which mentors at-risk kids. Or I look at my friend Paul, who retired from his job early, and he was actively praying that God would use him, and he heard about this ministry called Prison Fellowship. He had never set foot in a prison in his life, but now he goes every Tuesday night to Bergen County Jail. He goes every Wednesday night to Otisville State Prison. He leads Bible studies with the inmates. Two weeks ago, he invited me to be his guest at Bergen County Jail, and I, I went there and, and, and gave, a, gave a talk, but I also heard guy after guy after guy wearing orange prison jumpsuits talk about how they now had hope and direction for their future because of the time that they spent with Paul. The angel said to Mary, if you need evidence that God does miraculous things through regular people, look at Elizabeth. And all, for me, all of these people are Elizabeths in my life. Just like the Holy Spirit came on Elizabeth and came on Mary, I believe the Holy Spirit of God has come on each of these people that I just mentioned to you and enabled them to do things that they couldn't do or wouldn't do by themselves. And so anytime my faith gets weak, I remember them. Do you, have, do you have some Elizabeths in your life? You, you probably do. You could even borrow mine if you want. They, they won't mind. It's this reminder that God does miraculous things through ordinary people. So after some initial shock and after some pushback, um, Mary gives this beautiful response in verse 38. She says, all right, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. So here's the question for us. What is the situation in our life right now where we need to say, Lord, I don't know exactly how it's going to work, um, but I know you've put me here. I know you've called me to this. I'm not going to run away from it. I'm not going to take the easy way out or explain it away. So my answer is, is yes. I am your servant. Um, may it be to me as you have said. Let me say one more thing about this. It could be that for you, the, the miraculous thing that God wants you to do isn't some dramatic, sensational thing. You know, it's not, you know, starting a ministry in Rwanda or Patterson or, you know, venturing into the prisons. He's calling you to do something much more quiet, much more under the radar, like every day get up and parent a child with special needs. Miraculous thing. Or care for 
uh, a parent who is aging and who needs your help. And every day, miraculously, he's gonna give you the strength to do that. Um, you can't do it on your own, but through the power of God in you, you can do it. I think that's what we learned from Mary. Was she, was she an ordinary person? In, uh, yes, she was. Completely chosen by God's grace, scared to death of the whole thing, very human. But what makes Mary so special is that she decided to submit herself to God's will. When we follow in her footsteps, it opens doors for God to do truly miraculous things through us. So as we close our service today, I wanna, I wanna close by receiving again the power that makes miracles possible. So communion servers, would you get up and get ready to serve us and let's prepare our hearts for communion. You may have noticed that the the one verse in this passage, that's probably the most, um, the most memorable, the most quotable, uh, we didn't focus on much, which is uh, Luke 1.37. And it says in the version that I'm, I'm reading from, it says, for no word from God will ever fail. Um, I think it's more compelling in uh, a different version that says, for nothing shall be impossible with God. That's an awesome promise, right? For nothing shall be impossible with God. So maybe this morning your mind is stirring with some hard thing that, that God is, is nudging you, tugging you to do. And if you're completely honest, you're afraid. You're intimidated by, by whatever this thing is. You're not sure if you're up for the challenge. And God's word for you is nothing shall be impossible with God. So in a moment, you're going to be holding in your hand this, this little piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus broken for you on the cross. And you're gonna be holding in in your hand this little cup of juice that represents the blood of Jesus spilled for you on the cross. Because he did those things for you, the most impossible thing was accomplished. Sinful people were reconciled with a holy God. Uh, Jesus pulled that off by going to the cross. If he can do that, there's nothing that he can't do when you are connected with him. So when you take that bread and that cup and and it goes inside your body, would you allow those things just to push out the fear? You know, it says in the New Testament, perfect love drives out fear. So allow the presence of Christ as it symbolically enters you through the bread and the juice. Allow that to just chase away the fear. Because he is with you, there's nothing impossible that he calls you to do. There's nothing impossible for you. So as the servers come forward, let's just give thanks to God for what he's done for us. Lord, we're grateful for the amazing obedience and submission of Mary. Lord, thank you for what you did through her. And now we offer ourselves to you, Lord. Um, May it not be about us. May it be about Jesus and what you want to do in the name of Christ through us. And Lord, I pray that right now as we receive, as we remember the grace shown to us on the cross, that you would just make us so confident in you. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.